Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Well, hello. I'm so happy you're here today. We are meeting with one of my favorite guests and friends, Luke Jordan. I think many of you know Luke. Maybe you've practiced with him at one of his workshops or in Portugal, um, where he lives in Sintra. But we are having a deep conversation today. We had a past podcast where we dove into Luke's story and his history. But today we are talking more about the Ashtanga yoga practice evolution, but also our spiritual well-being, spiritual growth, what it means to really practice yoga. What is yoga? What is self? We're talking philosophy and diving into the experience of the moment and the nowness of being here and being with each other. So I hope that you're ready for something a little deeper, a little more interesting, and uh, we're going to dive into something really, really beautiful. Um, If you don't know Luke, he is a certified teacher in the Ashtanga Yoga tradition. He holds master's degree in Indian religions. He is a writer, a storyteller, a Vedic chanter, a Sanskritist. He is the perpetual student of yoga and spiritual culture. And the one thing I really love about Luke is he's always questioning. He's questioning every belief, every thought, and seeing how his reality is being formed by these beliefs and these thoughts and their only beliefs and their only thoughts and they're not reality. And so he's constantly trying to see and experience reality as it is rather than this illusion of Maya that is entangling us all in this wild, wild web. I love this quote by Wayne Dyer. You're not a human being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. And I think this is the essence of what we're talking about today, that uh, the spiritual practice itself is always happening. It's happening at every moment in your life and tapping into our highest presence, into that presence that's unconditionally loving, whole, and complete. We can do that at any moment, but we have to go back and in and slow down and connect to this moment, which is now. It's not something that's going to happen in the future. It's something that's always happening and that we can actually connect to at any time we want. It gets easier if you start to develop the path, if you start to know how to tap in, how to go inside, how to create that space or move into that space. You don't need to create anything. You just need to move into it and be in it. Um, And so it gets easier when you know how to do that. You know where to go. The road is well-worn and traveled. It's easier to open yourself up into that space, into that presence. Um, But it's not something that's going to happen to you 10 years from now. It's not something that's going to happen to you after you practice first series, second series, third series. It's not something that's going to happen to you after you hold your breath for five minutes. It's something that's happening right now, just as you are in this moment. 
I love this um, etymology of words. And the, our word for spirit comes from the Latin spirare, which means to breathe. And so to be spiritual is someone who's interested in the breath. And the Greek word, espenilos, probably did not pronounce that properly, um, means he who breathes into another. And so there's something very, very um, intimate with our breath and our spirit. They are one. They are so connected. And there's a beautiful quote from Krishnamacharya. Inhale and God approaches you. Hold the inhalation and God remains with you. Exhale and you approach God. Hold the exhalation and surrender to God. I love this quote from him because, again, it points to how intimately tied our connection to our spiritual presence, to God, to that infinite source of abundance and energy and love within us is tied to our breath and how we breathe. We exhale and inhale more than 20,000 times per day. That's 20,000 moments where you can connect to God, to spirit, to life force in a conscious and intentional way. And the way in which we do so just has a tremendous influence on how we move in our body, how we feel in our body, our mental and our emotional state. You can go so far as to say how we breathe is who we are. Think about that. How we breathe, how we pay attention to our breath, impacts who we are as an embodied spirit having a human experience, right? Are we connected to ourself? Are we connected to that essence of who we are? Or are we lost in the comings and goings of form and name and shape? So if you're interested in connecting to this deep spirit within, to the essence of who, who you are, I really want to invite you in to my pranayama course called Ancient Breathing 2.0. You will experience a radical shift in your energy when you tune in to this power of your breath. It will uplift you. It will help you to have a more fulfilling life. You will start to listen to yourself in a new way. It will improve your physical health, your yoga practice, and your emotional stability so you can feel more at ease and experience more joy in life. We are beginning this weekend on November 11th. That will be our first live class. It is a six-week live program where we go through each week building a pranayama practice week by week to help you at the end walk away with a practice that is just for you, that is unique and individual for your constitution based on the Ayurvedic doshas or the Ayurvedic medical system of India, the ancient system of uh, indigenous medicine to India, and taking into account what your unique constitution is, what is out of balance or in balance, we will design a practice for you that will not only significantly 
increase your connection to this powerful, infinite energy within you that's also going to help connect you to the source of life and breath in every living being all around the world. But it's also going to help to balance your physical body and your mental and emotional being and body um, in a way that's going to help to decrease your blood pressure. You might even lose weight. That's happened with previous students of mine. Over the first couple of weeks, they lose five pounds. Um, it's going to help to give you a greater heart rate variability, increase your sleep, reduce anxiety, and even clear up your skin so you have a more youthful glow, uh, less um, breakouts, and even reducing wrinkles. So why not? It's uh, ancient elixir of youth, breathing deeply, right? Sleeping, breathing, drinking water, best things you can do for your skin. So if you're thinking you'd like to include breathwork in your life, in your yoga practice, or your self-care routine, then this is the program for you. I am going to show you how to regulate your nervous system so that you can build resiliency and bounce back from adversity a little quicker with um, even more tolerance to stressful situations. So as you become more resilient, things that used to stress you out a lot are no big deal anymore. Um, so that's the benefit of doing this pranayama practice, this breath, conscious breathwork practice regularly is you start to become a different person. You don't freak out as much. Things that used to be stressful aren't stressful. You can take on more. You can handle more because you just feel more at ease. You feel more balanced. You're better able to handle life's daily stressors. So uh, sign up now. We're open this week. It's going to help to balance your hormones. It can improve some of those irritating symptoms of menopause. Um, there's all kinds of benefits to pranayama. I could go on and on and on. It is a live program. I'm teaching six weeks. There's also six modules of pre-recorded um, classes and teachings and lessons. We practice Sanskrit chanting, the correct pronunciation of the Sanskrit mantras, the, some of the traditional Shanti mantras and some of the Pranayama mantras. There's also an Ayur, Ayurveda overview. We look at um, Ayurveda in a very basic way, but I unpack the different teachings and doshas of Ayurveda. You get a personalized quiz to help you discover what your dosha is, maybe also where you're imbalanced. Uh, we study the Hatha Pradipika, where these pranayama teachings are derived from, looking at where they originate from and how to practice these very traditional techniques. Um, and we also look at the subtle body, the energy locks within the body, the bandhas, and how practicing these bandhas is so important for developing your breathwork practice, your pranayama practice. You're also going to get some incredible bonuses. You'll get a six-month membership into my inner circle. You're also going to have access to me through a WhatsApp group where you can ask questions and get coaching throughout the course. And of course, we have our live classes where you can also get personalized coaching, where I'm going to be teaching and guiding you through the practices. And there's two bonus modules that you're going to get. One is looking at all of the mudras, the advanced pranayama practices from the Hatha Pradipika. So again, doing this deep dive into the different mudras to channel energy through the body 
and some of the more advanced pranayama practices that you might not quite be ready for, but in um, maybe a year or two, you'll be ready for them. And also the other bonus module, bonus module two, is the Ashtanga Yoga Pranayama Lineage Method, which is different from the uh, Hatha Yoga Pradipika. It has different practices and it is the uh, method that Patabi Joyce taught. So if you are interested in learning how this method of Patabi Joyce differs from other pranayama practices and methods, then you are going to love this second bonus module. In addition to all of this, you get lifetime access and I invite all uh, past students to join me live every time I've offered this course. So I foresee that going forward. So you get to have lifetime access to all of these materials, uh, PDFs, handouts, audios, guided audios, guided videos, as well as the live classes and future um, invitation to join me in my pranayama course when I offer it again in this Ancient Breathing 2.0 course. So there's really no risk you, if you finish this time or you finish next time or you finish a year from now, I'm here to support you in developing the pranayama practice that works for you. And I love working with students and guiding them and helping them even over the years. So you might start with one practice and then as things change and as you develop and grow, that practice is going to gradually change and evolve and you'll include different pranayama practices. So as I was taught by my teacher, Sri O.P. Tawari, the pranayama practice is always growing and evolving and changing as you do, as your life does, and as your constitution changes. Um, I mean, your constitution never changes, but what dosha is maybe more vitiated at certain times in your life does change. So maybe you're more kapha predominant at one time or vata predominant. You would need a different pranayama practice depending on what sort of symptoms or what sort of characteristic problems you might be experiencing because pranayama gets to the heart of your constitution or of the doshas and helps to balance them. So uh, it's a really beautiful way to practice pranayama and to grow in this lineage of pranayama and I would love to share it with you. So you have one week to sign up come on over to my website, harmonyslater.com. You will see the link there to join. The webpage is harmonyslater.com forward slash ancient dash breathing dash the number two dash the number zero. And you'll find my ancient breathing practice. You'll also see a link on my banner for my website and uh, link in the show notes and also my Instagram bio. So I hope to see you there. I hope you join me for this time. It will be a wonderful group of students and experience to just dive into this breathing practice that's so important. It's so essential to not just our health and well-being and our emotional health and well-being and our ability to have clarity and purpose in our life, but also our spiritual well-being. It is absolutely essential in my mind to have some kind of conscious breathing practice if you want to develop a spiritual practice. Without this component, I'm not sure that you're really tuning in. I don't know if you're giving yourself the space to listen, to go in deep, to feel, to connect. Connecting with your breath is connecting with your spirit. It's connecting with God. So I would love to help you do that in my course, Ancient Breathing 
Okay, so let's dive into this very rich, rich, rich and deep and beautiful interview with Luke Jordan. Uh, he's going to blow your socks off. So let's go. Are you, are you recording yet? <laughs> yes. Yes. We're yes. We're recording. This is the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Russell Case. I'm only the co-host. I'm here with our sponsor, uh, our host or promoter, Harmony. You're going to tell us what the hell happened to the Vikings when they came into Ireland. And I didn't want to miss this. Well, the Vikings, when they they didn't conquer Ireland, they tried to conquer Ireland, but they just enjoyed it so much that conquering it, they integrated. So yeah. they. They became Irish. They uh, were Vikings one day, and the next day they identified as Irish and started drinking Guinness. You're telling me that Ivor <laughs> the Boneless just became an, an Irishman. He became, that's what he became, he became uh, Ivan O'Boneless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're having a lot of fun learning about the uh, the the Vikings, the origins, the history of, channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ireland yeah. and Scotland. But and actually, England. it's just a giant soap opera. Yeah, and that, we're just watching nighttime <laughs> soaps. No, <laughs> it's it's no. They tell the absolute truth. <laughs> always, always believe what you see on the History Channel. So, on the History Channel, what we learned is that women. In the, in the Viking lands, in the Danelaw and in the Scandinavia, only make love sitting on top. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we learned on the So it seemed channel. like there was so little female things, agency in the show. Things have become so inverted these days. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So they put the woman on top to really underscore the point that in the in the in the Viking land days, that women had a lot more agency as they were being raped. And it's probably coach. because the man couldn't be bothered getting up. Uh, I, no. think so. I think I'd be too tired. Like, I'd see. Come here, love, and weeks. also, would would you pass me the remote control? <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like how our evenings go. Yeah, honestly, you can just come here and pass the remote control. Well, for those who don't know you, Luke which I think most people do, they can dive into our last episode, which was, I think, a couple of years ago now. I can't believe it. Was it a few but, years ago. Yeah. yeah, time flies. Oh, you look much older, honestly. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you do. You look really like life's hit you, you right in the face, me. <laughs> the things I've been through. <laughs> but we wanted we wanted to talk just about that right how youth is wasted on the young oh the george bernard shaw the irishman quote yeah yeah is youth wasted on the young uh no it's absolutely not uh <laughs> <laughs> everybody has just the right age for them but That's whether or right. not they, they appreciate the gifts of their particular age, that's a different matter. I think quite often people don't appreciate what they've got. You know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. That's a, that's a fucking Beatles lyric now. No, 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 no. That's, uh, what do you call it? It's Joni Mitchell. That's oh, right. it is. Oh, it is. You don't know what you got to they, do. Oh. They, they paved they paradise paved and put paradise. up a parking lot. They did right. pave paradise and put up a parking lot. I think that's actually a Bob Dylan tune that he co-wrote with her. Oh, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Not to, to like diminish her agency. Yeah. She's glaring at me right now. <laughs> 
does Bob Dylan have to get credited for every musical? <laughs> yes, he's very important. <laughs> he's a very, very yes. important person. Um, no, but this is this he's is Jewish. It's true. The ego always thinks that I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm not, you know, like it's never the right time. Like now is never the moment. Well, the the, I'm the ego isn't listening. That's yeah. why. Uh, yeah. So it, it's funny because when we're young and we're overbinding with energy, uh, we we're more than enough, yeah. uh, and yet we have these programs that run inside of us that tell us that we're not good enough, and we need to prove ourselves to everybody, and we need to, you know, prove ourselves to the world, and uh, you know, as far as I can see, the yoga world. And, you know, I've been certainly part of that is we want to show what we've got and we want to get uh, respect for that. We want to get recognition for that and admiration for that as well. Uh, and essentially that desire for respect, admiration and recognition comes from, a, a I would imagine, a deep seated insecurity that mm -hmm. uh, we don't actually we don't know who we are we don't know what we're here for and we sure as hell don't know what the hell yoga is <laughs> and so the way that we, we we prove to the world that we know what yoga is is by stretching further than everybody else <laughs> yeah it's true or learning all the sutras that we can or learning all of the you know whatever yeah mantras like we're, sanskrit chanting yeah, we're, Exactly. We're driven to prove ourselves because underneath that, yeah, there's an insecurity. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, I mean, it's, I don't imagine it's that way for everybody, but I think uh, a lot of people uh, suffer from this in youth. Mm. And then, of course, you're competing against other people. Yeah. You know? I, I wonder also if, if there's a, there's an element there of, of joining a group and an orthodoxy and you don't know what anything is, but someone tells you that, um, uh, um, you know, uh, something is something. It's like, and so it's a box and it's a category, it's a name. And it has a boundless meaning that's ineffable and describable and actually and and the word limits its meaning. But you've got you've got a little flag that you can you can you can hold now. It's like, oh I've, I I understand everything. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I can I can go forward and I can be proud that I understand everything and, and now I've got it. So there's that's a kind of overconfidence even. I'm, I'm not sure that people, uh, when they're holding that flag, uh, really believe that they understand because I think the need to hold a flag comes from that basic insecurity that is, I don't know what this is. And I, because I don't know what this is, I need a badge, I need a flag, I need a position so that I can, uh, you know, navigate this ineffable sea and so that's where our clubs are formed you know? mm -hmm. that's where and you know 
that's where violence begins whenever you have a position. It's true. Because you're, you're, you're part of this group and you're not part of that group. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're part of somebody who shares a collection of beliefs. You become part of a club. And then people who don't share those sets of beliefs are then outsiders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've, I've witnessed this in the yoga world, is that when somebody doesn't share the same collective sets of beliefs, they become uh, pariahs. They become... Uh, cast-offs they become the people the people that people ridicule mm-hmm. and uh, talk about yeah. yeah god i was just thinking mm-hmm. that this morning i was imagining in my wild overestimation of how much people think about me i was imagining um people at a yoga workshop uh in india talking about oh yeah russell's way off he's he's way out way out there is so far gone and he's got a silly little show you know i was imagining being ridiculed in just that way for being for you know i I think here we were kind of um interested in in diverse opinions and thoughts and and not adhering to an orthodoxy as such well i think what it points to though is is really interesting this i mean the whole idea of yoga the whole practice the whole approach the whole viewpoint in a sense is to dissolve these boundaries, as you say, right. Mm -hmm. To, Mm -hmm. to experience that ineffable experience of, of oneness or unity to transcend the mind, to transcend the, the borders and the barriers that we put up between like me, my, I, you, yours, and them. Right. (laughs) And creating these little sort of safe structures, um, because at the deep heart of it, right, we're craving belonging, we're craving appreciation, we're craving self like worthiness or self-worth. And we have these very deep fears that we're not worthy, that we're not lovable, that we're not good enough, mm-hmm. that we're not, um, you know, that we're not going to belong, that we don't belong. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the yoga is supposed to help us or be a vehicle to move us into this other state of integration where we yes. are identifying it's, our worthiness and belonging. I, I would say maybe it's, it's, I think you've got it right. It's supposed to be, yeah. but I imagine that any movement that you make towards the goal of connection is actually taking you further away from the connection because the whole desire to be connected is that underlying state of unfulfillment and any action that comes from that underlying state of unfulfillment is only going to reinforce it. Uh, and so you might get something that will make you feel better for a time. Uh, but as long as you're using it as something to make you feel better, it's it's like a drug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whether that's you know connecting with your community of people or whether that's practice essentially what you have to come back to is the experience of that underlying lack of Mm self-worth and really embrace that and be with it and uh, and to open into that to find out what's underneath because this seems to be the the root uh cause of our search Mm. and uh 
all of the search that we do that comes from this root only continues to lead us further away. So we at it, we don't have to do anything, but if we're interested in yoga, we have to come back to face what's here. Mm-hmm. We have to come back and look directly in the mirror. You know, we have to come back and get completely naked in front of the mirror <laughs> and see what's there. That's how you were sitting right before we got on the podcast. You didn't have any <laughs> that's right. I was, I was sitting here in my uh, <laughs> I was sitting here in my bathrobe, not realizing that we were going to be doing video, so I had to. Uh, <laughs> Very quickly jump into some clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking about, you, you said um, it's like a drug, but I think it actually, uh, I think the, I would take issue with the word like. I think, it, I think it, mm. it does exactly the same thing in the, in the brain. You know, when there was a, a short time when I was educating educators about yoga, we would often use neuroscience as a, as a as leverage to to gain their confidence mm-hmm. and and so one of the things that we would we would learn about is how um when when you uh is the kind of is dopamine and mm-hmm. the use of dopamine to prop up the self and the self-confidence that you would you get a little hit of dopamine when you get a raise when someone says your name when mm-hmm. you're recognized and you also get a little hit of dopamine when you when you take cocaine, which is mm. the great benefit of cocaine, is that it gives you a, this kind of sense of confidence and self appreciation that has been is some is 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 like a is a dark black hole inside of you. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like from what you're saying, with this hit of dopamine. Uh, whatever gives you this dopamine instead of being a boundary dissolver is actually fortifying the boundaries. It's fortifying the boundaries of being somebody. So when somebody says your name and you get a hit off that, you, you're, you're more attached to your name. Mm. When you get recognition because you happen to be born with a flexible body, it's a reinforcer of your identity as being, you know, bloody good at yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you know, you mentioned drugs because that's an interesting thing. It seems to be that there's certain drugs like cocaine, which give this dopamine, which are reinforcers of this sense of identity. And then there seems to be other drugs as well, uh, which dissolve those boundaries of self. Yeah, I know that they've been doing, you know, kind of experimentation with, uh, you know, people who have. You know, uh, they've come to the end of their life and they're experimenting with, you know, different psychedelic substances Mm -hmm. and these, you know, these boundary dissolving substances, you know, show them freedom. Mm -hmm. And freedom is this loosening of the cords of the default mode network, which uh, attach people to solid reality and a solid sense of themselves and they open and when they open what they discover is there is love Mm. so it seems to be that that which gives us the dopamine i mean we can become spiritual and we can uh 
you know, have a have a position around what spirituality is. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that the real spirituality is when we l- let all of that go. And it seems to be that what's there when we let go is love. Yeah. And that's what connects us. That's the that's what's there when we dissolve those boundaries. And so anything that's taking us away from love towards the concretization of boundaries is moving away from love is moving away from life uh and anything that brings us back home connecting us with love connecting us with life that's the real yoga yeah i love that and it's i think it's so true and it touches upon also what you were saying um which i also have experienced to be true as well which is going to the root of that underlying thing that's very deep. It's very deep in our psyche and has been reinforced since we were children. You know, whatever that kind of, I mean, there's probably many of them, but, you know, that core wound, whether it's not belonging or not feeling safe or secure or not feeling good enough or worthy, um, going into it and feeling it, and being with it because so much of our energy and our time is like you say, pushing it away and doing all these things to get us certain results or get us certain um, accreditations or accolades or praise from external forces, trying to fill this void, this hungry ghost in a sense that's inside, that's trying to push away that root of I'm not good enough or I'm not really worthy, but it doesn't matter how much we get externally. It's never enough because we haven't gone to feel it at the root and integrate it and love it back into being like back into ourselves. Right. And it it doesn't seem like our society gives us the support to do that. Our (laughs) society is all about fixing us Mm -hmm. uh, and putting us out there as good workable units uh, in as consumers in the workplace and it doesn't really support real healing because when you get into the place of real healing then you see you might realize that you don't want to live this way if you feel bad you're going to be constantly seeking approval you're going to be seeking approval of your teachers you're going to be seeking approval of your boss you're going to be seeking approval of authority And once you no longer need that drug of approval from authority, you're going to be free and you're going to do what you want to do. And you're not going to be useful to society because, Hmm. yeah, you're going to do what you want to do. You're not going to be a slave, Yeah, essentially. I mean, slaves work very good getting their uh, addiction. I mean, look at the drugs that are legal in society. You've got alcohol, you've got nicotine, you've got these other things. You know, you've got social media, you've got internet addiction, you've got all kinds of addictions that are out there because uh, addicted people make good workers. They make good slaves, sadly enough. I mean, I think if yoga is useful for anything, I mean, I I don't know whether it is or not, but if it's useful for anything, (laughs) it's useful for helping people break free of these other addictions to come back to a state of health, which in Sanskrit is svasta, which is literally self-standing. It means mm, beautiful. N- not not needing anything from outside, knowing that you are 
perfect, whole and complete, just as you are, you know. Purnamada, Purnamidam. You know, if yoga's good for anything, that's what it's good for. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you start to take better care of yourself. You start to eat well. You start to pay attention to what you're consuming, whether that's food or whether that's drink or whether that's entertainment. Because all of these things that, you know, society is giving, they're just trying to rope you back in on that on that treadmill. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if this is conscious. You, I feel like you might have made a, a couple of, of references in your conversation already to Aldous Huxley and his Brave New World, who famously... Oh, I read uh, that a very, very long time ago, so it's not, it's not fresh in my he, memory. He famously consumed, you know, a gallon of LSD as he was dying. I think uh, it was... Oh, did he? Yeah, that's right, when he was dying. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he... Well, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but he would also talk about the in his brave new world we talk about how society is uh, you know as uh, mm. um narco addicts were you know you know much more um they, they were given soma actually that's the same, right the same uh, the same uh, as was the inspiration for the vedas mm-hmm. and that does that doesn't suggest that that's that, that that's <laughs> what the vedas are trying to teach us is to be good pliable slaves no 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 no, no. <laughs> quite the opposite i mean really the, the yeah. soma of the brave new world it seems like to be an inverted soma yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i think um i think that that is the heart of yoga as you say is this freedom and this independence and i love um one of my teachers my pranayama teacher would describe vairagya as being a state of non-dependence rather than Mm. non-attachment because as humans we're going to be attached but it's the dependency that creates the problems Mm -hmm. but so many and i think for a while yoga does kind of help to dissolve these these other attachments like you're saying and create sort of a more whole holistic unified state but then we get addicted to that (laughs) as well that's right. <laughs> I agree. I mean, we we we, uh, we we take our patterns of unconsciousness, and yes. we bring our patterns of unconsciousness to whatever it is that we do. So you know, say that we're addicted to the heroin of society, we become addicted to the methadone of yoga. Exactly. You know. So we get addicted to the same approval. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. I mean, I know for sure. I know I, I wanted it so badly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was so badly wanting, you know, respect, approval, and appreciation. Yeah. You know, maybe I didn't get it somewhere else. So I thought, okay, here, here, I can get it in yoga. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Look, look what I can do with my body. Yeah. And come on, somebody, will you notice? please <laughs> that's interesting i yeah. i was going to ask that question i didn't know if i was being too narcissistic about it it was like wondering you know what what luke noticed about me and then i was like actually to to invert <laughs> the question you know what i what i what i noticed about you was this yeah this wonderful lightness that was so lovely to be with and to observe in the yoga room you know because you you see a person's personality when you're practicing them. But it was also, you know, extraordinary jealousy of your gift. And so then that, you know, that jealousy is my own insecurity. Then 
turns into a you know you know motivated work to push harder like how can i you know mm. be better than luke i've got to i've got to fucking wake up earlier now to figure it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it is interesting cuz we're like you say we're always projecting these unconscious mm-hmm. parts of ourselves that haven't been healed that haven't been accepted that haven't been integrated all these wounds of like right? Not feeling good enough. Like I'm not as good as this person or that person. And then we start to project that into our yoga practice or, um, I'll finally feel good about myself when I can do that handstand or that scorpion. Uh, Right. uh, So like knees again, projecting this Mm. state of, and then for a moment, yeah. For, for a moment you will. Yeah, You know, for a moment you feel wonderful and then that underlying malaise will creep back in and then it will be fixated upon another goal. Yeah. That when you reach that one, you'll feel good enough. Yeah. I mean, how crazy is it? Congratulations, you get your legs behind your head. Thank you very much for your contribution to humanity. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and this was something that I wanted to talk to you about a little bit because it's something that... that, Well done. You grabbed your knees and back bends. You know, there's a spot for you waiting in the circus. Yeah, (laughs) and in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be terrible? That would be the worst thing. (laughs) If I died and I got up to heaven and everybody's there grabbing their knees and back bends. Yeah, yeah. And the ones closest to God were like... I did that to avoid this. <laughs> I'm doing this uh, practice to avoid this doing this in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but it is like I mean that's always my thing is is what's the motivation, right? When and this is kind of back to what we were talking about at the beginning when you take away that when you really realize, like when you truly have the like deep, deep realization and understanding, like this doesn't make me better. This doesn't actually heal me. This doesn't change who I am. This doesn't um, make me a better human being for the planet or for my family. Surely it does a bit of that. No, I don't think it does. Um, <laughs> what, what, what's the it that we're referring to? I'm, I'm with harmony in this the, one. The yeah. practice doesn't do any no. good. No, it does and I think good. this no. is. A, I don't think it does actually. I think it's calmed me down a bit. This is the <laughs> this is the misnomer. I mean, uh, this is the thing that you can't say. This because what yeah. you're playing with when you say these things is you're playing with people's cherished beliefs. Totally. Uh, and I'm, I'm always interested in uh, yoga being about beyond belief. So as soon as you're thinking that, okay, if I do this, I'm going to be a better person. Mm-hmm. There you have a belief. There you have a goal to get to. There's a there. Mm-hmm. There you think, you, you know, slowly, step by step, you're going to walk to. And the truth is that there is no there. Yeah, there's no there there. You're never getting there. There's no there there. There there. <laughs> All right, but we're having a really nice conversation, and a big part of that <laughs> conversation is 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 predicated on the three of us having done some yoga practice and having fucking learned something from it. <laughs> I I you see. I would like to mm. consider 
what I'm learning from yoga is being unlearning rather than yeah. learning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do a hell of a lot of learning, but my learning is good for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I can learn. I mean, I spend a lot of time like learning this Veda and that Veda and this Sanskrit and that Sanskrit. But ultimately, my knowledge is good for nothing. It's just knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it, it has nothing to do with uh, how much I love. You know, I, I would say that's that's the, the real thing of importance. And that, unfortunately, after 20, no, nearly 25 years of doing Ashtanga yoga practice, that's where I'm a beginner. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm advanced in yoga asana. I'm advanced, you know, in certain areas of scholarship. You know, I'm a master in this. I'm a master in that. But in love, in life, I'm a beginner. I'm learning. I've got my, you know, my stabilizing wheels on my bicycle. <laughs> and, you know, after learning all of these things, it's like, okay, that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's what, that's what we're really here for. We're, yeah. Here we are in life and you can use the practice as a way of avoiding life completely. Yeah. Uh, of di- of being disconnected from life. Sorry, I can't live because I got to do my practice tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always so... admired you for drinking pints in Mysore. <laughs> I always thought that now that's that's a young man who is, stays true to himself. And he was you were the only one I, I, I the only person I ever knew or heard about who would drink a pint. In my sort of all uh, yeah. places, where I used, pints well, it, come it used to be more. It used to be fairly more than a pint, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but not only that. Uh, to, to tell you the truth, I used to feel quite proud of that accolade because I was aware of the fact that it made me a little bit different. So even though I would be walking past the shallow with the ba- the black bag of shame from the off license <laughs> carrying carrying many bottles of Kingfisher, uh, it's like a it's almost like I would have liked people to have seen this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was, I'm quite taken sorry, with... Sorry to let you down. I don't drink mm. anymore. Oh, <laughs> it is a, neither do we. Um, it's a, I, I, I'm really quite taken with the, the light on your face at, at, at the moment. And I, though I said that life seemed to have hit you quite hard, you really do look good. I have to say, and I think Thank that's also a benefit much. of the yoga. And I, um, <laughs> and I wonder at what point did you did you start to feel that um, uh, you didn't feel young anymore, and that uh, you you were kind of hit right in the face with another attachment. I want to just share one thing before we go on to that, and it's like. Uh... It's talking about, well, what's the point of yoga? And there mm-hmm. was one day, you know, because I've always, you know, what I find is I was always trying to come up with rationalizations, mm-hmm. you know, like reasons about why it's good. And so there's something in there that's still got a point to prove, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then I, I found I find a good one one day, which was in one of the, the Upanishads. It's in the Kena Upanishads. And it, it Kano Upanishad, and it talks about different uh, different practices like tapas and Veda knowledge and these other things. And they they uh, it uses a word to say that they're a pratishta, and this word pratishta means it's a base, it's a foundation. Mm-hmm. 
are, it's not the thing in itself, you know. It's a foundation for the thing in itself. You know, if I would say the thing in itself is exploration, exploration of who I am and what is life Mm -hmm. and what is love and the, uh, the various practices, they form a foundation. But unfortunately, what happens is a lot of people take the foundation as being the thing in itself mm-hmm. when it's, it's like a piece of clothing, you know, when it's, when it's finished with, when it's soiled and dirty, you take it off. Yeah. You don't get attached to it and you put on a, you know, a new item of clothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I can see, I can see that it has its use. Uh, as being a foundation, but even this to me is a belief. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, it's a foundation. So I've given somebody a reason for believing why it's good to do yoga, and I want to take that away as well. And then, what are you left with? Right, you're just w- left with. I've, I enjoy it. Right, I I like to I like to be in my body. I like to. F- feel how it is to move my body. I like the sensations. I I even like kind of the anal adherence to certain kinds of structure. Mm. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, how how great is it to have this to have this gift of a tool to take care of the body, which is obviously a very precious thing. Uh, I mean, that's not to say a lot of people don't destroy their bodies through, you know, their ambition in yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think sensibly done, it's a really wonderful tool to for preserving this corporeal existence uh, throughout time as it gets older and it starts to decay and fall apart, mm-hmm. which maybe yeah. brings you back to what you were saying. Yeah, yeah but... I think that I'd love to just go into this a little bit more because there's something in this also of when you take away the belief, you're taking away the identification as well, which then takes away kind of this this feeling of like, well, I'm better than all these other people who aren't doing it, or I'm right. better than, you know, I'm doing advanced series, so then I'm better than the people doing primary series Certainly. or whatever yeah. hierarchy our oh. mind automatically starts to make. And we start to identify with, oh, I'm an Ashtanga yoga practitioner. Better than my younger, yeah. Right. Yeah, Better than sure. or different than or in creating these divisions. But then, like you're saying, what happens when you when you really start to peel away those those beliefs, those layers, those attachments, those identities? Mm-hmm. Um, we we begin we begin to move to the place where we can really meet. There's that famous uh, Rumi line. Uh, which says, out beyond ideas of right and wrong doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. And what I understand by this is out beyond ideas of identification. You know, here's how I'm separate from you. So when we, I mean, look at the problems that are created in the world because of belief. Belief is a poison. Belief is a disease. And when we strip away what we have to believe in, what we come back to is that vulnerable humanity. 
that tender, vulnerable, sometimes hurting, sometimes joyful. We have the whole spectrum of life living inside mm-hmm. of us, and that's where we uh, that's where we truly meet each other. And yeah. definitely, we don't meet each other through being whatever whatever series we're on. Yeah, no, no that's just ludicrous. It's beyond yeah. ludicrous. I was thinking too. It's you know, I I love that too. You're always a little bit of a rebel. I think that mm-hmm. that feeling of or that sort of pride in like being outside of the the you know orthodox like you don't drink, you don't do these things, right? Well, the, 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 the the orthodox. The orthodox is an absurdity. Yes, it's exactly I mean, who, like <laughs> who, who would feel any kind of pride in being aligned with some kind of orthodox that is an external institution set up by other people? Who would feel any kind of pride in being that kind of sheep? I mean, it 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 is an absurdity. And yes, you can join that club, uh, but any meeting upon having an agreed set of an ideas isn't a genuine meeting. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you can't meet somebody just because you agree with them, because sooner or later you'll disagree mm-hmm. and you'll fall out. Opinions will change. Yeah. I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if you want to have a meeting with somebody, you have to be done away with all orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then then it's possible. The use of that word rebel, it was, it was nice because it actually was uh, what I wanted to, to, to mention is this, uh, we learned this definition in Chicago when I was at school about um, modernism and that um, you kind of, uh, you have a kind of an idea of modernism as this kind of late 19th century movement, but it, but it was, it was offered to us that modernism was a kind of way of thinking that was prevalent throughout human history, which is you take a monument and then you tear it down and rebuild it. And that is your your definition of modernism. So you have your holy cows, you know, like a statue of Stalin or or the, the French aristocracy, and you, you tear them down, you cut off all their heads and you rebuild something new, like the new ruler based on on rationalism, not on the king's foot. So th- this this doesn't sound like rebellion to me. This sounds like revolution. Uh, you see, the revolutionaries are all idealistic thinkers, and they want to tear down the old and put something new in its place, built built uh, based upon their ideals. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, a true rebel is different from a revolutionary. Is it? Uh, that they, that they, they're not looking to put something new in the place of the old. They want the, the structures of the old uh, to, they want to live outside of the structures of the old and live freely. Because the moment that you set up new ideals and you institute them for everybody else, you've just become uh, a new orthodox. And that's what most of the revolutionaries are trying to do. So yeah. say, for example, Marxism, it's, it, it, they're just trying to institute new orthodoxies. And, you know, that's not freedom. So to be truly rebellious is to be seeking freedom, uh, which is 
which is the truth of who you are. It's not a truth that you dictate for anybody else. It's th and this for me is the heroic path of yoga, is to find that still inner voice that lives inside you and live by that. And nobody, you see, this is the thing, is everybody's going out there for this guru and that guru, but no guru can tell you what is the truth of your own inner voice, because that exists for your ears only. Whenever you remove the voices of society and the voices that everybody else has told you what the right way of being is and the wrong way of being is, when you take all those away, then it's possible, if you have the courage, if you're brave enough to listen to that still inner voice and let that move you through life yeah. very quickly you're gonna like that's have to a be a rebel that's being a rebel but very quickly you're gonna have a group of people following you around if you if you say those sorts of things <laughs> <laughs> i would love to hear a little bit about like your own process of kind of you know seeing how you were identified with this practice with the ashtanga yoga practice and your status as a certified Ashtanga yoga teacher and and peeling away some of those layers to what, come to this heart of love. The metaphor I, I wanted to to use to right. your point exactly is yeah. is not to peeling away the layers but but watching the the, the own, your own right. monolith of self start to crack. The, the 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 thing that you so artfully constructed over a period of 30 years, you know, Russell Case the Ashtanga yogi is now fallen to fucking pieces in the sand like Ozymandias, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I, I celebrate your loss. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I, I, I was also quite lucky because when I, uh, I, I shared about this when we spoke before, but when I was younger, uh, I experienced a psychotic break uh, and the personality that I'd I had had up to that point, you know, it it never f really fully returned in the same way. So that anything that any edifice that I could like place on top, it was always it was always going to be shaky. Mm -hmm. You know, I there was like there's nothing that I can really believe in uh, as me. Mm -hmm. uh, but certainly what I noticed was that in the battle for survival through life, um, you know, having a yoga practice, you know, being gifted with the ability to do certain things with my body uh, really supported me in survival. Mm -hmm. And I was also very, very lucky because I didn't really have to do very much. Uh, just of the sheer fact of being able to do things with my body and spending some time in Mysore, you know, very, very quickly, people started to offer me uh, yoga classes. Yeah, the devas. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful, the beautiful devas <laughs> blessing me with all these, blessing me with classes in dirty, sweaty gyms in London. <laughs> Lloyd's and Holmes place, you know? Yeah. yeah, so you were like growing and rising and, and having these 
these experiences. But I mean, you did, you you were very dedicated to your practice, and as you said, it was something that was well, like a. I, a I, I still enjoy it. Yeah, a life raft, kind of like helping for you sure, navigate. For sure. There's a, Absolutely, there's a, and, and that's why I came to it because I felt that after my my psychotic episode and my mm-hmm. uh, my time in hospital, I was really looking for something to give me a sense of uh, stability and grounding. Mm-hmm. And the pra- the practice was the strategy that I used to meet my needs for stability and grounding. And yeah. then over time, I find that it, it met a lot of other needs of mine as well. It met you know my need for community, and yes, it met my need for recognition and survival and so yeah it it really met uh and for travel and adventure yeah. and excitement i mean it was it was just a gift that kept on giving yeah yeah so then what happened what, when did you start like looking at this and questioning it because most i mean i don't know most people but many people would have this like amazing gift these big boons and then I mean, maybe they would feel trapped by it and or they would just like put on their blinders and be like, I'm not going to question this. Yeah, no, right. Right from the beginning, uh, because I was I was uh, already kind of deeply interested in Eastern forms of spirituality. So Mm -hmm. I was, you know, studying at a university and. you know, I was particularly interested in Taoism, uh, but then when I started reading the Yoga Sutras, I saw that this this whole thing is a paradox uh, because whatever you do from the mind, the position of the mind is not going to still the mind. Uh, so I I couldn't really I I could make connections between the practice of yoga and the philosophy of yoga, but I knew that the connections I was making between the two weren't very honest. Mm. Uh, So the, the, uh, the philosophy of yoga and the practice of yoga have always been somewhat separate entities for me. Say more about that. You mean like the practice of asana? Yeah, the practice of asana and its whole connection with the Ashtanga yoga of Patanjali. Uh, you know, I, I don't really see the connection between the two as being uh, an essential one. Uh, what I see is that the the philosophy of yoga is something that's kind of placed upon the physical practice. And I don't mean that in any way to be disparaging. It, it just seems to be what the truth of this is it, mm-hmm. of it is for me i don't think it makes the the physical practice any less because when you're do, when you know when you're moving through these bodily movements you're not thinking about patanjali you're not thinking about the yamas and niyamas it's only after you do the practices that you then try to form some kind of connection to to justify to yourself about why it's such a great thing that you you know you move the body in this way Mm-hmm. You, you you don't need the philosophy to enjoy exploring how it feels, what the sensations are when you move the body in a particular way. You know, when you when you breathe a particular way, you don't need the philosophy to to enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely not. It, it reminds me of something that um, the the Norman Allen said about about history. If if you're really interested in history, there's something wrong with you, and. Likewise, if you, if you if you really need the philosophical inquiry to to legitimize your yoga practice, there might be something wrong with you because all you need to do is is be and observe. 
But I think people want a deeper spiritual understanding of life, of themselves, because that's at the heart of it, what they're seeking. And those are the very people that are running away from that very same uh, spiritual understanding, because where and when is it going to be? Right? Yeah. Spiritual understanding, when is it going to be? Right? It's always, according to the books, it's always at some point in the future. Mm. so Mm -hmm. you're seeking spiritual understanding at some other point in time tough luck (laughs) this is it this is it this is as good as it gets Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. here right now sitting here with a messy table which luckily you can't see um chatting with you guys right this is this is it i i and this is what I this is what I want, you know. Yeah, and that's. I don't. I I don't want anything more than this. <laughs> and you see, the thing is, as well, when people are looking for some spirituality at some other point in time, they're closed. They're closed to what's here, what's now. They can't see the gifts. They're overlooking the gifts of because reality is doing nothing other but give all the time. Mm. And what what's wrong with you? This isn't good enough for you. You want something else? I mean, look, I get to see I get to see you in your smiling, laughing faces, and mm. I get to talk. I love talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, I mean that is the key, right? That the love is always in the present moment. And that it's always and, here, and, and, the, and, the, and the freedom, and the anger, and the the sorrow, mm-hmm. yeah. and everything, and it's all beautiful. Yeah, you know yeah. when we say because pe- then people go out looking, and they're looking for only love. Yes, right? no, love is the only thing, right? And if we're not feeling love, there's something wrong with us. Screw that, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, you have to feel it all for sure. And I mm. wanted to talk to you a little bit about this too, because I think this is something interesting and, and maybe this is also your experience. But um, when my experience of doing the practice was also very healing for a time, but then, you know, it kind of changed in the ways that we've been talking about with some like, you know, identification and a lot of shoulds and musts and, you know, keeping up mm. with all the all the things the new that we put on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And feeling like you have to keep going, keep striving, keep advancing, keep, right? Like you're kind of, again, back on that treadmill of, of achievement and success and, you know, trying to find your own self-validation or self-worth through that, but also not wanting to feel. This is violence. Yeah, exactly. Not wanting to feel all of these other patterns that are actually pushing you through that, right? Mm -hmm. They're pushing Mm -hmm. you to find that validation and that success. And it's always from something outside of yourself rather than going in and feeling failure Mm -hmm. and feeling sadness. What a relief it is the day. uh, I I met uh, Chuck Miller recently. Yeah, oh, I he described uh, he described one of his best practices ever, which was he would you know going through all these advanced series blah blah blah, and then one day he was 
you know, like when a horse pulls up to a, a, a fence that it can't jump and it yeah. pulls back. It's like he met himself on the mat one day and he's like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said that day he just he just lay down on the mat and took Shavasana. And he said it was the best practice ever. He'd never <laughs> felt better. Because mm-hmm. what a relief to learn that you don't have to torture yourself. You don't yeah. need to commit this violence on yourself. You don't need to shoot all over yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You actually don't need to. <laughs> For what? What would you need to for? Yeah. When there's nothing when there's nothing to get. The new generation's coming after us. Yeah, but there's nothing to get. <laughs> there's nothing to achieve. Eddie 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 Stern said this to me once. He's like, "Well, we we're teaching yoga to kids because, you know, this new generation's coming we have to give them something because they're coming after us." And I said, "They're coming after us?" <laughs> I said, no, no, you're saying it wrong. You're saying it. it's not not after us, it's coming after us. And I think what we really, like when we, so, you know, India has these different stages of life. Mm-hmm. And I think once you've got over this second stage of life, which is about, so the first stage of life is about learning about the world. The second stage of life is like being in the world. And then the third stage of life, which I, you know, kind of, I'm creeping my way into, I think is about, it's about sharing. It's about sharing back into the world. And I think one of the things that people, you know, who maybe are in a different generation of yoga practice, what they have to share with the world and what they have to share with those people who are coming after us, is 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 one of the things that's really important for us to share is our wisdom about look it's not about this Mm -hmm. it's not about the dogma let's leave the dogma behind you don't need to practice you don't need to do this if you enjoy that wonderful go for it but know that we're spinning on this planet in a, you know, in a universe that has more stars in the sky than grains of sand on every beach, on every desert, 10 times more in the known universe. So essentially it doesn't matter. Get a grip of yourself. Mm. You know? And I think that's what we, that's what we have to share is we've, we've been through that and we've done that. And that's what we have to share is the ability to hold the space for people in their investigation about who they are. That's really what it's about. It's, you know, if yoga is about anything, it's about the exploration of who am I and what is life? What is this world all about? Yeah. Uh, and it's certainly not about doing a handstand. No. Get a grip, but I think also like release the hold. I, I'm trying. I'm Get trying a struggling grip to and fall. release the hold at the release same the, time. Release your hand. <laughs> there's, there's that the, the paradox again. It's a paradox. In that. all truth, there's the paradox. <laughs> That's a paradox. <laughs> Get a grip. <laughs> release, but release it. Release the grip. Lose, lose your mind and come to your senses. Oh, yes. Lose your mind. <laughs> I'm lost, but I was found. Yeah, <laughs> I was blind, and now, now I, I can see. see. Yeah, but not really. Yeah. No, not really. I I do think there is a process, right? Like you do have to kind of like go through all these lessons, do you? and 
yeah, I, I do. I, I think it's part of like evolving as a human. I don't know. Not many people are just like born Buddha. I mean, there's maybe a few, right? Well, that's but... the Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> but even Buddha went through a process, right? Like when we look at when we look at our lives, I mean, in order to oh, you see, but this grow, is that's, that's destiny. Growing. That's destiny, though. That's that's free will and agency. <laughs> Did he actually have a choice of becoming the Buddha Let's and going through the process? Right <laughs> this is like this is what Robert Sapolsky is talking about. The neuroscientist is whether or not we actually have free will or not in our agency, and I don't think the Buddha did. <laughs> Well, you know, we could get into that. I'd be very happy to get into that as well. I would agree with you. No, no free will. Genes and conditioning. Not whatsoever. AKA Ramesh Balsakar. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter for, anyway. I mean, what, yeah, for, I mean, uh, who is it that would have free will? I mean, that's the most important question. Who, who would have free will in the first place? And you see, if you are a fiction, then the question of free will and determination doesn't matter. So that's that's the big question of yoga is who are you? Yeah, the constructed self that you fucking propped up for your neighbors. <laughs> what I also appreciate is I think, um, I mean, I think I'm pretty open and honest about these things of like, you know, these conversations around yoga and, and what does it really mean and why are we doing it in the first place and trying to get to the heart of, of you know, it being something that is actually about your life rather than about, you know, Akam inhale, Dway exhale and put your leg behind your head and do a back bend. And mm. it like, it's not about the physical thing. It's really about who you are in your life and how you are relating to yourself, you know, your small self, your ego self or your higher self and, and to others, right? Like it's really about that deeper learning, but I feel like maybe and I, I, you know, because I follow you and because <laughs> we're friends, I think you, you also are quite open about this. And, and there's some others as well. But I don't feel like we really had a lot of teachers coming up that were really sharing this. It really felt like when I was learning the practice, um, most of the senior teachers were really just like teaching by the book in a way. Yeah, um, do your practice. There was a few. There's a few that I really got these glimpses of like understanding from Chuck being one of them. Richard. Um, yeah, Richard and Mary being, you know, another. Um, but but in the Ashtanga yoga world, there wasn't that many who were really like, you know what, you actually don't need to do this. <laughs> Nobody fucking said that. To no one said that. <laughs> well, there there is that other element to it as well, that it's a business. Right. And... Uh, you know, yoga teachers want yoga students. Yeah. And uh, so and the, one of the unfortunate things with business is, is that it treats people as a means to an end. Uh, and we're willing to uh, sell things to people. And so in order to sell things to people, we need to actually make them feel that they're not good enough. We need to make them feel that they need to do something in order to be whole, perfect and complete. And, you know, that's what I'm not saying that that's necessary. You know, people are conniving around, you know, mm, how are we going to sell this to people? 
Uh, <laughs> but it's it's mm. like a it's like one of these unconscious things, uh, and also I, I you know a lot of these early practitioners they were full believers, you know they they'd met they'd been to Mysore when it was very quiet and they'd met Patabi Joyce and they'd had these crazy experiences that were well not only that but they the the original people who went to Mysore they were seekers. Uh, and they they were really looking for something. So it, this was before yoga turned into kind of consumerism. So they 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 found the thing that they thought they were looking for, and like I you know I imagine a lot of them became like proselytizers yes. uh, and and preachers of, yeah. of yoga, apostles of Patabi uh, Joyce, yeah. A, Apostles of Batabi Joyce, and you know, I think it's I think it's a beautiful thing that the whole House of Cards, uh, in many ways, fell down mm-hmm. uh, because it gave us an opportunity to see what this thing is that we've been doing with our bodies for so many years, to see it without the belief system. Mm-hmm. You know, when the whole Me Too thing came mm-hmm. out. Um, as... There's something that's so gorgeous to talk about how how beautiful it is to watch to observe, because it is beautiful to observe anything. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm also kind of struck, you know, speaking to you and and this lovely Irishman and and we speak to Scott Johnson, a, a Mercian from you know the <laughs> the the Midlands, and you know we we speak to Scots, we speak to all of these. Um, tribes of Great Great Britain and 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 Viking and Northern Germanic tribes who have you know gotta get more Scottish people who've then. gone out into the world and con uh, and Celtic Celtic Russell Celtic you know we've gone out into the world and and um and sought out new lands and conquered and destroyed them you know and then and then you know. Found you coalesced and then immediately went out again a little bit further and conquered. Um, Where are you going with this? India, <laughs> going to India is all of these Vikings went to India, seekers, and then conquested it for you know as a kind of trophy. And so here we are, still in the kind of mindset of of conquest. We're going to conquer our body, conquer our mind, conquer India, mm-hmm. conquer the self. Mm-hmm. We're going to. We're gonna take mm-hmm. it all back as a fucking trophy and hang it on our wall mm-hmm. and be goddamn proud Absolutely. of it. Absolutely, this is a there's a very interesting book I read recently. It is called uh, "The Chalice and the Blade," mm. and it's an examination of how uh, about six thousand years ago there was a dramatic shift in culture from a culture that was based upon partnership. Uh, to a dominator culture, mm-hmm. a culture that was at war with nature and at war with uh, other people. It was based upon, you know, uh, enslaving people and dominating people rather than working in harmony with them. Uh, and I, our institutions and our society is still based upon this dominator culture. That's that's what we're. That's what we grow up in. I mean, we live in societies that 
worship violence Mm -hmm. you know you look at uh, our sports and entertainment they're all fundamentally violent and we we also learn to think in a violent way almost every thought that we have is a judgment about reality because we can we think we can dominate reality through knowing it so every time you say this is like this this is like that that is a, a, a hangover of our attempt to dominate reality, to dominate nature. And we do it to ourselves and we do it to other people. And, you know, the yoga comes from the same dominator culture, passed down father to son, father to son in the Brahmanical hierarchies. It's true. You know, so. So, I mean, my imagination is, is that the real yoga is the undoing of these uh, endemic ways of thinking that we're not even aware of because they're so deep-seated. We've grown up in the atmosphere of violence. And, you know, even when we think we're being peaceful, it's still a continuation of of, of violent modes of thinking. Uh, I mean, it's it's like the the you you start in this work. It's just the the layers peel off. The deeper it goes, the deeper it goes, never endingly. Yeah. Uh, and it's so interesting, like that. I love the, this attention to domination and violence and our tendencies as as individuals as humans to to want to dominate to which is an act of violence and that the ahimsa you know the non-violence the non-harming is the foundation of the yoga practice the foundation of the buddhist practice the foundation really of any meditation practice because that is actually examining your thoughts as you're saying right and questioning every belief and every judgment and every thought and seeing how actually maybe a hundred percent of them aren't true Mm. <laughs> which is frightful, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, every thought I have isn't true? You're, wow, you're, you're that's living, amazing. <laughs> you're living inside of a crazy person who lies to you. It's frightful. It's frightful if you want to hold on to yourself as a separate ego individual identity. It's frightful if you want to hold on to your position. It's frightful if you want to be right. Mm-hmm. And most people would rather be right than mm-hmm. have the truth yeah. or rather be right than be happy rather be right than be happy i mean i think underlying oh, yeah, i'd much that... rather be right than happy don't get me started relationships are great aren't they <laughs> <laughs> what would the, be the best way for harmony and i to come and see you like where would you receive Probably us by plane would be a good way yeah. by plane <laughs> all right <laughs> Yeah. So if our sea voyage. That would take a while. I would recommend playing. Maybe I'll see you in May. You're gonna go see him by yourself. I'm going to be in Lisbon in May. Oh you're gonna be in Lisbon. Uh, that's quite threatening. Yeah. I, I I like I leave in a couple of days. I'm not gonna be back until July. So Wow. Oh that is Are quite you on like the road a, for that long? Like a Viking. So, yeah. On the road, so I'll be in India for three months, and then when I come back, I'll be I'll be on the circuit. Amazing! What are you doing in India? Uh, I'm going to be giving some classes in Purple Valley there, and then oh, yeah. 
I'm going to be, I'll maybe spend some time. I like to go to Tiruvannamalai. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, right. If you had one message to tell anyone who's listening, which is mainly Ashtanga yoga practitioners or yoga practitioners, what would you say? Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. That's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then after that, what would you say? (laughs) I think it would be said. Good God. After that, what would I say? I don't know. (laughs) Straighten your legs. I would would say yoga is a cessation of fluctuations of consciousness. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Says Patanjali. I, I just stop it. Just stop. Stop it. Just stop it. Just stop it. Which is that's that that's it's it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing. The cessations of fluctuations. Stop it. Stop it. You do look good, Luke. I don't know why you're going on about you know aging and all that. You look great. Oh, thank you so much. It's because it's because I feel relieved that I don't have to play silly games anymore. Silly buggers. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I don't know about you, but I could just really go there and listen to Luke and be in his energy and with that deep connection to reality and just talk about, you know, consciousness and reality and our patterns and loving what is and being in the now all day long. It is my favorite conversation to have. Um, If you would love to have more of these conversations with me on a weekly basis, I would invite you to join me in Ancient Breathing 2.0. You will get a personalized pranayama practice based on your unique constitution, lifestyle, and needs. You'll have the six weeks of live classes with me, and there's a exciting bonus, which is my year-end online retreat. So you're going to get a free ticket to my online retreat, Reflecting and Projecting, where we're going to do some more deep work, looking at these patterns, healing some of the aspects of ourself that maybe we haven't looked at for a while or we've been rejecting also projecting into 2024 where we would like to go, tapping into our big, big dreams and what we want to manifest and create and uh, doing the work around how we're going to, how we're going to start to move in that direction. And um, yeah, it's going to be a really wonderful, wonderful year end retreat, as well as some uh, spiritual practices, of course, right? We'll be practicing pranayama, meditation, And maybe I'll even throw in some asana for you so that you can move your body and not just be sitting the whole day. So um, that's a wonderful bonus, extra, extra bonus you're going to get. Plus, you'll get all of the course content, which is the modules, Sanskrit chanting, the Ayurveda overview, studying a deep dive into the Hatha Pradipika, the asanas, the pranayamas, the mudras, and all of the kriyas, all of the cleansing practices with demos by me in the videos. Um, You're going to learn deeply about the subtle energy body and how to regulate your breathwork practice, how it will change your physiology, and how you can use these practices to help others in your life, your students, your clients, 
your kids. Um, plus, you're going to get the added bonuses of that six-month Inner Circle membership, a private WhatsApp group so you can connect with me and get your questions answered right away if you forget how to do something or you want me to look at your Udiana Banda or your Nali practice or if you're thinking Agni Sara feels really uncomfortable I don't know what to do is this okay isn't this okay I'm going to be with you every step of the way I'm here to help you and to support you and to hold your hand so that you don't feel afraid that you don't feel unsure you feel totally confident and you know exactly what to do you also will get the bonus module mudras and advanced practices and the Ashtanga Yoga Lineage Pranayama module. Um, all of the information is on my website. Come and join me. Decide and commit and give yourself this opportunity to really transform, to really step into what's possible for yourself, to create the space in your life for you to be and to breathe and to connect and to just be, to connect to the now, to connect to that breath, you will not regret it. You will not ever regret it. It's such a powerful practice and I can't wait to see how it transforms your life, your energy, your emotions, your body. Um, it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. And I would love to just support and guide you in your process and throughout. So uh, head on over to my website, harmonieslater.com. And I will look forward to sending you a big welcome email as you sign up and come into the program and we start our journey together. So... I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonieslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the break